0: Again to First Timothy chapter 5. First Timothy chapter 5. We are presently looking at the New Testament's instruction on a Christian's responsibility toward widows. There are numerous references in the scriptures in both the Old and New Testament. Concerning God's care for the widow. God's concern for widows is beautifully encapsulated in one verse in the Bible, in the book of James, James one twenty seven, says pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. How about that for an interesting summary? Pure and undefiled religion to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now what we're looking at in this chapter is how to apply biblical principles in a practical way so that members of the church can all contribute in caring for widows. And we're also looking at how the widows themselves can please God in their unique situation. Verses 3 through 16 are devoted to this topic. And as we discussed last week, we find three categories of widows being described. The first category, which we've already covered, Is widows that can be cared for financially by their family or by some other means so that the church will not be charged with the task of caring for them, caring for them in a financial way. The second category is is younger widows who should remarry. The third category is what we call widows indeed. That is widows who meet a certain Criteria or who meet certain qualifications for being cared for financially by the church. Now before we move into category three, we covered categories one and two last week, but I did want to add just a few more comments about the two that we already covered. Concerning category number one, one of the things that we should have done when we covered this category is i did not include verse 16 in that category so that you would have <coughs> verses uh uh 4 and then 7 and 8 and then verse 16 when we covered this category i didn't read all the way down to verse 16 And that verse simply says this. Look at it with me. It reminds us that if any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them and the church must not be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. So verse 16 supports verse 4, verses 4, and 7 and 8. But something interesting about verse 16 is verse 16 actually contains a textual variant. If you have a King James Version or a New King James Version, King James Version reads this way. If any man or woman that believes has widows... Let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. So the variation there is the fact that the word man is not in the NASB. And the reason for this is because the New American Standard is using a feminine form for the person who believes, while the King James Version is using the masculine form for the person who believes. Now, the King James Version added the word woman, which is not in the original, at least the the Greek translation from which the King James is translated from. The King James Version added the word woman to the sentence to show the reader, to give the reader an understanding that this was to be a family concern and that all should be involved in caring for widows. Whereas in Nasby's translation, using the feminine form, is pointing to the assumption that the widow being supported would be under the direct care more than likely of a female family member. So the onus would be on the Christian woman to show practical care by making proper arrangements for widows within their own family circle, women reaching out to other women, that kind of a thing. So that's the reason why you have a difference in the verses there. It's not a substantial difference. Uh, the point is not lost that those family members who have a widow should be taking care of that widow. So that's really the bottom line. One of the reasons why uh, that verse, uh, this is going to be kind of a lame excuse, but it's just the truth. One of the reasons why I skipped over that verse last week is because in my Bible, uh, the Bible that I have is double column and only part of this chapter is covered in one of the columns and then it jumps to the next page. And uh, that Verse is the only verse that I needed to cover, uh, and it happened to be on the next page, and that's so that's why I missed it when I was turning my pages. So that happens sometimes when you got to jump from page to page in the middle of a chapter, worse yet, in the middle of a topic when it jumps to the next page. So that was the reason for that. Uh, Very quickly, looking at widow category number two the younger widows who should remarry, you have verses. Uh, verse 6 and then verses 11 through 15 cover this particular widow. Uh, notice in verse 11, when it says there, but refuse to put younger widows on the list for when they feel sensual desires and disregard of Christ, they want to get married. Now, when you read that, you hopefully you would understand that Paul here is not condemning young widows for wanting to get married. He's only observing that many unmarried women are so hungry for marriage and companionship that they may not respect or they may not uh, conduct themselves, I should say, in a godly way in regard to relationships. In other words, their desire to get married is distracting them. It's moving their focus away from being able to serve God without being married. And so it's best that they remove the distraction by applying themselves to behavior that is fitting for a young godly woman. And in some ways, if you think about it, this sort of reminds me of what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. I'll read that to you. It says this, but I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I, meaning single. But, he says, if they do not have self-control, then let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, the idea in 1 Corinthians 7, of course, is that is the reality that singleness <clears throat> depends on on two things it depends number 1 it depends on desire and it also depends number 2 on what god has called you to do if the desire is very strong to marry then the chance is good that one is not called to be single that's a pretty good indication of whether or not a person is being called to singleness If their heart's desire is to be yoked up with someone else, then that's probably what they need to do according to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And so Paul is is stating that here in our text for the younger widows who are still of marriageable age. Let's just put it that way. All right? All right. Now let's go to category number three. Widows indeed. That is widows who meet certain qualifications for being cared for financially by the church. We'll go back to verse 3. This is where we're first introduced to widows indeed. Notice verse 3 says, Honor widows who are widows indeed. I do want to point out first of all that it does say honor, honor them. The word honor here carries the idea of Respect. And we think about the commandment honor your father and your mother, right? That's one of the commandments. So, honor here carries the idea of respect. Now, the phrase there, a widow indeed, is referring to a widow, referring to one who has no other means of support but is wholly cast upon the Lord for her maintenance. She has no other living relatives that can care for her. She is also described in verse 5. Look at verse 5. Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. In other words, she is reliant on upon God to fulfill her needs. She's going to the Lord because she has no one else to do this for her. Lord, please help me. Now, as we jump down to verse 9, we pick up the widow indeed again down in verse 9. And now we're going to focus on the qualifications for a widow to be on this list of widows Receiving financial assistance. Let's look at verse 9 and 10 again. Verse 9, a widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, if she has devoted herself to every good work. Let's stop right there. First of all, looking at verse 9 again, we're going to notice that it makes reference to the list. It says there, the widow, a widow is to be put on the list. Now, interestingly, the words is to be put on the list all translates from one single Greek word. And this is the word's only occurrence in the New Testament. And it means, quite obviously, it means to select someone for a group to enlist or to enroll them. Here it refers to a recognized role of widows who will be officially recognized as such and likely thus approved to receive the financial aid of the church. Now it is unlikely, as some have asserted, that Paul here establishes or recognizes an order of widows who were were expected to render ministry benefits to the church in exchange for their support, almost like an office of widows. There's no reason to designate them as as an office. It's just a group of people that are being cared for by the church. He further states there in verse 9 that a widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old. So the first requirement here for entering into a formal relationship with the church in this way is that the widow must be at least 60 years old. This specific age guaranteed that the widow would not be prone to the problems of youth and also that the problem of becoming self-indulgent in opposition to Christ with its sexual overtones would not be a factor. The age of 60 is in contrast to the younger age of the wanton widows, many of whom possibly had been deceived by the opponents. Now, the number 60 seems to have been the age associated with becoming old, especially in antiquity. So I guess according to antiquity, I I wouldn't be old yet. So that makes me feel kind of good, but (laughs) (laughs) sorry, Reggie. And uh, some of you other guys out there, you guys are old, (laughs) but I think you can get the idea here is, um, that may sound even too old for some of us. Some of us may consider the concept of, you know, being in your fifties to be Old, we would think that might be older, too old to remarry, or certainly too old to bear children in our modern mindset. But there it is. Paul says 60 years old. That was the first requirement. That made it positively <coughs> sure in the minds of people this person isn't going to have the desires of a younger woman at this age. Now, the second requirement that a widow must fulfill before she can be officially recognized by the church is it says there, she must have been faithful to her husband. Now that phrase there is interesting. It just simply means, <coughs> excuse me, a one <coughs> man woman. And what's interesting about that is it's the reverse of the similar statement that each elder and deacon must be a one-woman man. It's very similar to that. Notice it also says there, that's, that's enough said. She has to be the kind of person was, kind of woman who was committed to one man. The commitment was obvious. You can tell that woman loved her husband, loved her man. Verse 10 goes on, having a reputation for good works. And then it gives another list of what we would say qualifications. So to the two, to the previous two conditions set forth in verse 9, for these widows who will be supported by the church, age and marital faithfulness, Paul is now adding a third qualification, and that is having a reputation for good works, right there in verse 10. So again, the widow's past life comes under scrutiny in making a decision about present support. Now, the verb that's translated there, having a reputation means simply to bear witness. But here it's giving it the sense of being well spoken of or of being approved. The present tense here points to a constant witness from others concerning the widow. In other words, everybody looking on can say and can affirm that the witness of this widow, this person, this woman has has a reputation within the community of a woman who was committed to good works. Now following that phrase there, we have a series of five conditional statements that Paul sets forth as examples of what is meant by good works. What do you mean good works? Give us an example of this woman's good works. First of all, it says there, we need to consider if if she has brought up children. Now, that phrase there, if she has brought up children, comes from one single verb in the Greek. The verb is used only here in the New Testament. Now, it requires more than the physical ability to reproduce but also the additional skills of nurture and discipline that will aid the children in reaching maturity, both physically and spiritually. Because surely the apostle has in view here not just the woman's ability to conceive and deliver children into the world. I mean, if we're thinking that way, that would exclude a barren widow, a a woman that was unable to have children. So... We're not talking about just the, abil- the woman's ability to conceive and deliver children. But assuming her ability physically to bear children is her ability to raise those children responsibly. If she has children, how well did she raise those children? As the church determines a widow's status for support, they must ask, they must ask, Where then are her children in this hour of need? If she raised children, where are they? What state are they in? Are they wanting to take care of this need? Second, look what it says next. This is an interesting one. If she has shown hospitality to strangers. Now that phrase there, that word there I should say, hospitality, this is a verb and this is also found only here in the new testament hospitality as you probably know was a major component of the early church's ministry remember paul required a disposition toward hospitality essential enough to require it of overseers we read about that back in chapter 3 In a day when Christians were scattered by persecution and when apostles and evangelists and preachers were spreading out across the globe with the gospel, hospitality was a vital component of the fulfillment of of Christ's great commission. So a widow was to have excelled in the ministry of hospitality if she was to receive financial support from the church. Was this woman... A friend of the church. Did she aid the church? That's what comes up next. Look at the third one there. The church must ponder if she has washed the saints' feet. This is obviously connected to the ministry of hospitality. When guests were welcome into her home, she was to have the lead... She was to have led the way in service and care by gathering water and a towel and bowing to wash their feet. This was a symbol of acceptance and welcome as well as a physical act of refreshment for the visitors. Jesus, of course, had set the example in this humble service and his people obviously are to follow in his steps. Paul is not referring here to a foot-washing service per se, but as a practical act carried out in the mundane events of each day. This was something that she would have done to simply bless the saints. We don't necessarily wash feet in this way today. It's just not a part of, of what we do. But we may take care of whatever needs the person has when they walk through the door, whatever that would include. Can I hang up your jacket? That would be the might be an equivalent. There could be an, a, a longer list of things that you can think of. A fourth one that's listed there, the church must consider, it says, if she has assisted those in distress. Now, the verb that's used here, she has assisted is also used only here. I'm excuse me, not just only here, but also in verse 16 where it appears twice. It's a compound word, which at its root means something, something like to be strong for, or to avail for. Thus, She is assisting those, she is being strong for those who are being distressed. The word "distress" there means to press upon or to press together or to compress and make sorrow. So the idea here being portrayed is one of a victim being pressed between a rock and a hard place by outside forces The widow here is being viewed as one who takes up the plight of those who've been overwhelmed and pressed by life's circumstances or even oppressed by others. How has this woman responded to those who were in distress during her life as a Christian? There was a lot of distress going on, lots of persecution. Maybe she was allowing into her home those that were were being literally chased down under persecution, feeding them, aiding them, taking care of them. So how has she responded to those who were in distress, who were in the distress that she now finds herself in? Now she's in the same shoes as they were in. So has this woman been a person who has assisted those in distress. And finally, the last thing there, the church must determine if she has devoted herself to every good work. Here the apostle is just adding a very sweeping generalization to sort of sum up all the previous matters. One commentator said correctly, this last item suggests that the list is merely representative of her godliness, not definitive of every single duty she could have performed. And that's true. Just taking a step back and looking at this individual, can we say of this individual, here was a woman who loved God and loved the church. And she demonstrated it. Looking just very quickly again at the opening line of verse 11, (coughs) notice, it adds the negation there, but refuse to put younger widows on the list for when they, and we already read the rest of it. Notice the contrast there. But refuse to put younger widows on the list. Again, showing a contrast. And so as we consider the qualities of the widow indeed, it becomes very clear that if we compare this list with the qualities of woman that we read about in Titus 2, uh, 1 Peter 3, Proverbs chapter 31, we can see that this woman under consideration exemplifies a woman of God. Think about Mary, or excuse me, Martha. I mean, we know that Martha was the one running around like a chicken with her head cut off, but there's one thing that you can get gain from looking at Martha. Martha was a woman who cared. Jesus said, you "You actually care too much in the wrong way. You're a little distracted by it. But, but Martha was a woman who cared. Dorcas. Remember Dorcas? Now, why does everybody almost laugh when you hear that name? Dorcas, great name. Lydia. Remember Lydia? And many others in the first century that Paul wrote and said, you know, commend this woman. This woman has served, served me well phoebe Romans 16 phoebe was a woman who served the church very well served the church with great zeal now i think i believe that for the ladies there's a very valuable lesson to be gleaned from this list even if you're not a widow think about it one day you 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 might be And if that were the case, what would be the testimony that you would leave behind? The testimony of those that are looking on. What would that testimony be? If you had no immediate family to care for your needs, if your needs were not cared for, would your pious living make you eligible for the list? And again, these are deeds that were performed during the period of time that she was married. And so we, when we see lists like this, we always have to wonder, okay, would I qualify? Is this my life? Is this what I'm giving myself to? Is this my testimony? Don't we want to ask those questions, ladies? Amen? Yeah, we want to know. Now, now we're going to move from an extended section on widow's to another extended extended section, this time regarding elders. <clears throat> now, it is believed that perhaps for so much material here on the role of an elder, or for that matter, for the role of church leadership that we see in this letter, particularly elders, it is believed that perhaps the reason for so much material is because there was a foundational flaw in the eldership of the church at Ephesus. It's hypothesized that perhaps some false teachers had made entry into their ranks. Remember Paul warned the elders of Ephesus. Paul told them in Acts 20, even from within your own ranks, even from within yourselves, will rise up men. And then he went on to warn them about the types of people that would rise up within their ranks. That seems kind of troubling, doesn't it? That there might be that many problems in the church of Ephesus. Well, the churches in Ephesus, I mean, that was a large community. It was a large city. It was a very metropolitan city. Very active, vibrant church there. So when we think about problems arising like that, sometimes we, we get this idea in our mind that the first century church Man, that was the purest form of the church. They had the least amount of problems, you know, compared to today. Well, that's just not true, right? I mean, look at the seven letters written to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. There were all kinds of problems being dealt with. But today, the church for today needs to keep in mind that whenever we read about a church that's receiving instruction like this, This provides a lot of positive instruction for us because of the issues that had to be addressed in the various epistles. Think about Paul addressing the Corinthians about the spiritual gifts. There was a problem concerning the way the gifts were being used. And so 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 provides us with a lot of details about the gifts or the resurrection of the body. I mean, where are you going to go for the resurrection chapter? 1 Corinthians 15, right? That's the resurrection chapter. It talks about Christ's resurrection and then it relates Christ's resurrection to the resurrection of the believer when he's raised up from the grave. Problems with communion. We're not taking communion the right way. Well, how can we learn the right way to take communion? Well, 1 Corinthians 11. There's a problem in Corinth. Paul addresses the problem and provides the remedy. So, thank God for the problems that are being addressed in the New Testament. So what instruction does Paul give Timothy concerning the elders? I'm not going to have a lot of time to develop this because we are kind of reached the end here, but uh, let's at least get the ball rolling and get us pointed in the right direction because there's a lot to consider here. But let's read through verses 17 and 18. Here's what we see concerning elders. Verse 17. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Now, let me just state, in case we don't know, elders in this case is not referring to an older person the kind of elders that we talked about last week. This is referring to the office of an elder, the office of leadership in the church called elders. Once again, the context helps us to determine what kind of an elder we're talking about. As we discussed back in chapter 3, the term elder is synonymous with the term pastor or bishop slash overseer for reasons that we've already discussed So we're just going to move on to the instructions. We've already talked about that. It says here, these elders who rule well are worthy of double honor. Now, on the surface, nothing in particular may strike us as odd about what this verse is saying. But in fact, as with several of the verses in the pastoral epistles, this verse does present some challenges And the first thing is right out of the gate because we'll want to make note of the way that the first part of the verse reads when it says the elders who rule well. (laughs) This seems to imply that there are some elders that don't (laughs) and that only those who do are worthy of this double honor. So it's believed that this might be referring to two groups of elders. It has been asserted by some that this one group of elders, the bad ones, the ones who didn't rule well, were perhaps introduced by the false teachers. And some of them had been guilty of bad behavior while some other ones remained unblemished. It is said that perhaps it was the bad group that prompted Paul to say what he says down there in verse 20 about those who continue in sin, rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also may be fearful of sinning. Okay? Still others believe that there are two qualifications or I should say, excuse me, classifications of elders here, but that the distinction is between those elders who rule, i.e. as like administratively rule, versus those elders whose primary focus is on preaching and teaching. Some people believe that's the distinction being made here. This is actually one of the more popular views. Paul uses a word here in the sentence, which we translate in English, the word especially, Which one of the meanings is a very high point on a scale of extent, or most of all, especially, we say. This seems to indicate a possible distinction between two groups of elders. So rather than this being a distinction between good elders and bad elders, this second hypothesis would say that the apparent contrast between Two groups at the beginning of the verse is probably meant to distinguish between those devoted, who devoted only part of their time to the tasks of leadership versus those who devoted themselves full time to that ministry. In other words, if there is a distinction, that's where the distinction lies. And so the full time workers would be the ones who are worthy of this double honor, which we'll, Lord willing, get into next week. (laughs) but we have to have a third position. Yes, there are still those who see no distinction here between elders because it's possible that the Greek word for especially can also be translated as the words that is so that the sentence would read this way. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of of double honor, that is, those who labor in preaching and teaching, okay? Or namely, the word could also be, instead of especially, it could also be translated namely, namely those who labor in preaching and teaching. And so if this is the case, then Paul is giving here a further description of those that he has already mentioned, in this case, the elders who rule well are those who work hard at preaching and teaching. You thought this would be real simple. But the truth of the matter is these are just some of the things that the language, the wording of it, could mean these particular things. Whatever position we embrace, there are a couple of things that are very plain. Number one... There are ruling elders. There are ruling elders. Number two, there are ruling elders that work hard at preaching and teaching. In fact, we're going to see later what the phrase working hard means. (laughs) And number three, there are ones that rule well. There are men who have made it their full-time business to direct the affairs of the church through administrating and instructing in the Word of God. So that's the good news. There are at least those three things. And Lord willing, we will unpack all of this next week. Alrighty? All right. I wish I could make it simpler, but that's about as simple as it gets. (laughs) So we're going to consider these elders that rule well these elders that are worthy of receiving double honor whoever they may be working very hard at preaching and teaching amen i can tell you that working that that teaching and preaching does require very very hard work <laughs> let's stand Reggie mentioned how blessed he has been uh, to receive so much outpouring of love from so many in this body and I certainly do echo Reggie's sentiment. I'm very blessed by how you guys have ministered to me and my family for many, many years. Some of you have known longer than others but I, too, have been just overwhelmed by that. And we always want to take care of our own. We want to make sure we do it well. Now, it's possible sometimes that people slip through the cracks. It's never intentional, but sometimes it happens. And so we, we, want, to be, we want to be as aware of that as possible and what it, make whatever changes we need to make to make sure that doesn't happen. But by and large, we want to make sure that we're caring for each other very, very well. And that's just one of the ways that we show Christ's love to one another. And Jesus said, by this all men shall know that you're my disciples, by the love that you have one for another. So it's it's a great testimony to the world. Amen? Father in heaven, thank you for your word and thank you, God, for just inhabiting Lord us inhabiting our praises, dwelling and living within us. Lord, empowering us to do things that are pleasing to you. And Lord, they're not just pleasing to you. They're they're pleasing to us and, and they benefit us. Lord, our good deeds bring glory to you, but our good deeds also bring A lot of pleasure to other people. A lot of aid for other people. Lord, as we consider the the qualifications for this widow indeed, what a great thing to to see a woman who has given her life for you and for your people. And Lord, we all want to be people like that. When I look at the qualifications of a widow, I say, Lord, yeah, I want to be that way too. I want to fulfill those qualifications myself. And so, Lord, we just want to thank you, Lord, for your abiding presence in our lives that allows us to do that, that empowers us to do that. And even so, Lord, as your word says, help us to continue to love each other with a pure heart, fervently. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. 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 God bless you guys.